I think in this world, people are speaking louder, repeating themselves, yelling at each other, whatever, because they don't feel like they've truly been listened to. Hi, I am your host, Raquel Ark, and welcome to your Listening Superpower podcast. This show opens your mind on ways to transform challenging conversations into opportunities for clarity, connection, and ease at work and at home. Discover how to grow your listening superpower to help you become a more effective communicator. Be inspired by conversations with authors, scientists, and leaders that will help you grow your leadership toolbox with strategies that you can use right away. Let's work smarter and feel better with our listening superpower. Storytelling has captivated humanity since the beginning of time. It has the unique ability to take us to different worlds, evoke emotions, and convey powerful messages. It's also about listening. In this episode of the Listening Superpower podcast, we will explore how the superpowers of storytelling and listening work together like the yin and yang. My guest is internationally recognized author and story activist, Mary Alice Author. She shares stories that take us on a journey from being hired for jobs to shifting organizational culture and engaging employees in change projects. With more than 25 years of experience, Mary Alice is a process host who builds capacity in people to bring their stories to life. She's a steward of the art of hosting, teaching participatory practice around the world, and she's also the co-creator of the Collective Story Harvest methodology. She hosts the Story Dojo, an online community focused on the power and practice of story. And she's just everywhere. She works with people all around the world, individuals, communities, and organizations. Enjoy listening and learning about how the powers of storytelling and listening can transform you, your team, and our world. Welcome to the Listening Superpower podcast, Mary Alice. Happy to have you on this episode. Lovely to be with you. To start our conversation, let's dive into some storytelling, which I know that you're very good at. I'd love to hear about a moment in time where you experienced the power of listening, whether it worked or it didn't work. What immediately popped to mind was a moment in my student days. I was part of a student organization, and this organization is based in universities around the world, and it had traineeship exchanges as its major function. And there was a congress every year where all the jobs that this organization had managed to create with companies around the world, and all the students who wanted to go somewhere in the world were matched together. That was the International Congress. And I wanted desperately to be on the International Congress team. So I found myself sitting in a hallway in a hotel, you know, one of those innocuous hallways that could have been in any hotel in any place in the world. And I'm sitting outside the door waiting for my interview slot. And I'm really in that I suppose it would be a conundrum of what do I say? How do I, how do I present myself in such a way that they say yes to me and they want me to be on a team? Anyway, I'm sitting there in the hallway and this woman wanders up. I don't think I've ever seen her before. And she wanders up and she kind of looks at me and says, she sits down next to me and says, what are you doing? And I say to her what I'm doing. And she said, so what are you going to say? And she sits there and listens to me. And somehow in the 
power of her listening, it totally transformed what I was about to say. And I went into the room and I said that. And I got picked for the team. And I never saw that woman again. But I think of her often as one of those angels in disguise, you know, those listening angels that pop up every so often and help you to make a significant transformation in what you're trying to do because they use the power of their listening in your service. As you were describing that, that was the exact word that came into my mind, like, oh, that's a listening angel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Whoever you are out there, if you hear this, you know, thank you so much (laughs) from my 19-year-old self. (laughs) That's so nice. But I wonder in that very moment, your mind is busy, right? And then you have this person who basically got into your space in that moment. And I'm just thinking about, you know, we, a lot of times we're, we're busy. This person interrupts your space. It could have been you were like, oh, leave me alone. <laughs> but, but what was it in that moment that allowed you to respond to her and vice versa? I think I sensed in her this curiosity. And I think that's something that is a key element for anybody who wants to think about listening. To truly be curious about somebody else is such a gift and it enables, I think, something to come forward that the other, the the one who's being listened to may not have known of themselves or of the moment. This kind of curiosity feeds an inquiry about what's really going on or what really matters. And so this curiosity coupled with this genuine sense that she was there to help me. I didn't know her name. We didn't introduce ourselves. It's kind of It's sort of like the person sitting next to you on the plane moment where you never introduce yourself, but you have an amazing conversation just because in that instant, there's a space opening where listening and sharing is possible. Yeah. And that moment still impacts you today. That person. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, those are those things where we don't realize sometimes the impact that we have on each other and how those moments are really lasting but I think we see it around us all the time. I think in this world, people are speaking louder, repeating themselves, yelling at each other, whatever, because they don't feel like they've truly been listened to. And I know in the work I do with groups, uh, when I invite people to share stories and I give a particular brief to the people who are listening, here's how I would like you to listen. Here's what your job is as a listener, basically. And I very rarely describe that listening role as a listener. I describe them as a witness. And when people say, what's a witness? And I try to get them away from thinking about court (laughs) or legal proceedings and say, witness, if you think about it as a withness, I am inviting you to be with the storyteller, to be in service to the person who is speaking, because the power of your listening can call something forth that is unexpected. That's the power of listening. So I'm asking them to take a witness stance. And I think if people ask me, is there something missing in the world today? I think it might be this stance, the stance of, I'm here to be curious about what you truly think, to understand you, to connect with you. And the way I can do that and demonstrate that I care is to listen. I know that you are, I mean, where you're really well known in your world because your name pops up all the time. And I know that you've had a large impact on a lot of people. And this is in the storytelling world. So we're talking, right? Storytelling. Yeah, and, yeah. Yet, and yet what you just described is, you know, the, the listening person who is witnessing, which shows that, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on storytelling, but at the same time, without the listeners, 
there's nothing in the story, right? So I'd love to hear your perspective on that and how that works together. And when was the point that you really understood the power of witness or witness? <laughs> well, let me start there first. Uh, I first heard the term sacred witness from a colleague of mine, Bob Stilger, who's done a lot of work in Japan. It's a Japanese concept. And this was the person who came over the mountains into your village, the one who wasn't part of your village structure, but was an honored guest and therefore had the ability to say, why are you doing it like this? <laughs> because they weren't part of your system. And so habit or assumption, or this is the way we, I mean, culture, the, the very basic definition of culture is this is the way we do things around here. <laughs> That's the very basic definition. So somebody who comes from outside of that has a unique perspective because they're not enmeshed in the story everybody else is living in. So I really heard the sacred witness and I've carried it with me since that time because also because I feel like that's a job that life has given me. I'm not really a place-based person. I travel a lot and I therefore go from place to place as what I call an intentional nomad, not a digital nomad, but somebody who is intentionally moving between people and place to witness them into whatever their potential is. And listening is a key way to do that. So when I think of story, I think of the two sides of a coin, or if you visualize a yin-yang symbol, then storytelling and story listening are the two different parts of that. A story was meant to be shared, and that's true whether it's spoken or it's in a book or it's in a movie or whatever. The audience isn't passively receiving something, they're an active participant in it unfolding. And I performed as a storyteller, so I know that you can tell the same story to different audiences and the results will be different because of the quality of listening. Some audiences get more energy or get more details or get more something else to unfold in the story simply because of how they are with you, how they're witnessing you. It's a team game. It's not a solo player game. And it's not, you know, the business of stories, as Martin Shaw would say, is not entertainment or enchantment. Those two things can happen. The business of stories is to be awake. And that can only happen in the power of good listening. So whenever I'm in an audience, I realize that. And there's some tests that have been done about the power of people's intention on another person. You can make somebody stronger or weaker in the power of your intention to them. And that's you can test that if you, you test somebody's arm and do muscle testing and shower them with negativity, their arm will go down, the muscles will get weaker. If you shower them with positivity, they will stay stronger. And that's true for anybody who's speaking. The quality of the people in the audience is determining how they show up, not the other way around. So it's interesting to realize the power you have as a listener and to know that it's intrinsic to the communication, the interaction you're having. And if you want to be a good storyteller, you have to be a good listener. Plus, the thing I like, I read somewhere one time, somebody said, if you're a really good listener, then many times people assume you're the wisest person in the room. <laughs> That's a good reason <laughs> to keep doing it. <laughs> you're going to learn a lot. I know often we want to say so much so we're perceived that way. And then it yeah. actually has the opposite effect sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to a phrase that you used just a moment ago. You said lots of really interesting things altogether, but this interaction between a storyteller and a listener is 
what happens is that we're awake, that we're actually waking each other up. It's not just about sending information and not about receiving whatever's being told. It's about being awake. And I'd like to explore that a little bit more. Like, how do you experience that yourself? Well, I mean, the first thing to know is that storytelling is a human superpower. And I think we developed it because it's a shortcut method for having us to understand how to survive. (laughs) You know, so we created stories so that we could survive and so that we could thrive. And so you could say anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, hey, congratulations. You are the product of people who told good stories, but, and they survived for this long because here you are, right? But you could also say, and I haven't ever thought about it like that until this moment, you were also the product of people who knew how to listen. Because if they didn't, and they, they didn't carry those stories with them, and they knew how to survive, and they knew how to thrive, then you wouldn't be here today either. So somewhere in your past, your people listened and paid attention and were awake so that they could stay alive. And, and here you are. So there's something really interesting in this wakefulness. But I think stories... I often say there are no innocent stories. There are innocent storytellers. So every story is meant to do something. It's meant to have you share my feeling or help me understand something or help me work through something, or it's to help you understand how you need to be with us, or I need you to participate as a listener in order for us to have the ability to survive and thrive together. And I think we're seeing in our society right now the fundamental breakdown of listening as a societal practice and a kindness in the way that we're treating each other and the way we are really wreaking havoc and violence on each other in so many different ways, some more overt and some very subtle. And that comes down to, am I prepared to demonstrate my kindness, my, my humanity, my, my care in, first of all, listening to find out what's really going on? Because If you know anything about story, you know that a story is not only the words people speak, but what they don't say and everything that's underneath it. And the only way you can sense into that is to really listen and and to, as a young colleague of mine once wrote on a flip chart, listen louder. (laughs) I love that. It's almost a full body listening that's required. And so many of us listen in order to go, where's my time to get in the conversation or what do they want? We're listening from an assumption as Stephen Covey says, it's to listen to understand. That's what we first need to do. That's It is a, a paramount practice. And for anybody who's in any type of system, and I'm talking there about families and communities and organizations, it's a paramount skill, but we don't teach that as a skill. It's a leadership capacity, actually. So let's tap into this leadership capacity point, because there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are in leadership roles or work in organizations of all, you know, all different levels of leadership beginning to, to, you know, been around for a while, kind of. And the storytelling, I think there's a certain awareness also in organizations or with leadership that leaders who are good storytellers can, you know, are, can use that as a tool in their leadership practice or how they communicate what's needed or or to be more clear about what's going on or whatever. And yet we have this yin and yang that's going on there. So perhaps you can talk a little bit about the value of the storytelling in an organization, what helps people to be able to listen to the stories easier, and perhaps 
when someone else is sharing a story or you'd like to get a story from someone else, how do you extract that out? So that's part of the process. So let me just start how I see the first part of your question. I think there's a predominance right now of people wanting to learn about storytelling as a tool. I spent about two years in conversation with two other Davids who are narrative practitioners, David Drake, who is, who is a leader in narrative coaching, and David Hutchins, whose story leadership program has been taken up all around the world. And we were really talking about what's the future of story and really being worried that it's being so commodified that as a tool, people went, go, this is the flavor of the month and next week it'll be something else. But it is the human operating system. So paying attention to it and respecting it and knowing how to work with it well is really important. But we identified three waves we thought were happening, and we think we're very much in the wave of influence right now. People want to know about storytelling because they want to have influence. Hey, our vision is this way, follow me. Buy our product. Yes, I really am a good person. <laughs> As a leader, what, you know, here's where we're going. Here's why it didn't work. I'm really sorry about that. You know, we want to know how to to have influence. So we're looking at story as a tool. But the next wave we think is sense and meaning making. There's something really important about collective sense and meaning making. And in any organizational structure, there are a multiplicity of stories going on at the same time. If you've ever worked in a regional office of an organization, you know, (laughs) I have, that's why it's interesting. You know that the head office story is not the same as the regional office story. And now that we've been through COVID and people are sitting at home, the multiplicity of stories has grown even more because we as human beings are compelled to make sense and meaning no matter what. So if we're going through a change process and we hear nothing about what's going on, and I've been contacted by a client just two weeks ago who has this issue. They said we have a communication emergency. (laughs) Because they're in the midst of a a long-term build of a IT platform and their members as a membership organization, they don't understand it and they don't know what they're doing and it's taking a lot of time and they're now busy making up their own stories. And so the people at the core of this project are getting really worried that by the time it's ready to be up and live, which is the beginning of next year, the storyline will, it's like the train has jumped the tracks and it's gone off in a different direction. So... Since collective sense and meaning making, how do we work with the stories that are inherently inside of an organization to know what what people are deeping in, like a teabag, and where how do we help move those together and hold the story together, not just the leader holding the story? That's the second wave. And the third wave, we think, is healing and holding, that is bringing the fragments back together. And when we look at some of these big conflicts around race, gender, identity, ethnicity, power, sustainability, all of those kind of things, those essentially are conversations that need healing and holing. And that's what story is also uniquely capable of doing. So it's interesting to notice where we are in that spectrum. We're in the wave of influence. I tested this out on LinkedIn and I wrote a blog post about what we had talked about, the three of us. And the first blog on story for influence had, I think, 4,000 reads or something. And I was really impressed with my career as a fledgling blogger. And then I wrote the second one about sense and meaning making, and that had 800 people look at it. And I got a bit disappointed And the healing and holding blog got like 200. And first I really, as we would say in New Zealand, packed a sad. (laughs) My internal system was, (laughs) but then I realized, hey, this was a bit of research and we're right. This many people are interested in influence, far fewer in the concept of sense and meaning making, even fewer than that 
in what story can ultimately do, which is bringing us back together as collectives, as collaborators, et cetera. And I have had a tag on LinkedIn for a long time on job offers that have storyteller as part of them. And what I've noticed is that none of them understand this either. Most of it's about communication skills. So it's interesting to notice where we're sitting. So that's the first piece of this. And now remind me what the second question was. (laughs) (laughs) So you had storytelling as a tool. (laughs) Yes. And so I think there's a lot of layers of what you're talking about there and a lot to think about, you know, also where people are at, what, what people are looking for, you know, how to influence. And but ultimately, even if they learn storytelling as an influencer kind of tool, that if they really start tapping into the human side of things and want to have an even bigger impact, then taking it to the level of sensory or healing could have a huge, huge impact. And it's not like you have to talk about it when you're doing it, but to recognize its power and hold the space for the power can make a huge difference. So it's good for leaders to listen to this and know that, yes, you can influence and at the same time, helping people make sense of things and ultimately healing a lot of these stuff from the past, you know, because there's a lot of organizational trauma and whatnot that we just don't talk about, that it could help take care of that without having to make that the main focus. So. So I remember where I was going, because one of the questions you asked is exactly how do you weave listening into this? How do you help people tell stories and what does listening do with that? So an important thing to know is if we want people to be vulnerable and share something about themselves, that somebody has to go first. (laughs) And it's a nice step for a leader to go first and say, I want to help you understand what perspective I'm coming from. Here's a story from my life. And they don't have to couch it like that. Often it's not about let's not use the word story. Let's just say, you know, when I was 19, dot, dot, dot. When we hear that kind of thing, or back in, back in 2012, or last year in the fourth quarter, we know a story is coming. Those are setups for our brain to know that a story is about to arrive. And something inside of us leans forward at that moment. Oh, I'm about to hear something interesting. It's not data. It's not an opinion. I'm going to hear something that's a story because we're coded for stories. Apparently, scientists say, already when we're in the womb. (laughs) It's already happening at that point in time. So, and the second thing to realize in that whole thing about vulnerability is uncomfortable does not mean unsafe. Sometimes getting in the edge of your comfort zone is exactly where you need to be. And safety is different depending on who you are. So as a white person, we can talk a lot about vulnerability. For somebody who is a person of color, they have a different boundary around that because of their experience. So that's an interesting thing to know that we don't all approach how we're coming into situations and telling stories in the same way because of our experience and our meaning making from the past. But if I tell a story and then I invite you, would you please turn to the two people next to you and share an experience about X? You know, so I've patterned the space by sharing something and then I'm inviting you to share something. What I know as a conversation host is the moment my voice comes into the room, I am more committed to what we're doing than if it doesn't. So I'm always looking for how can I get other people's voices in the room as soon as possible? Because we have a lot of one-to-many kind of conversations. Even social media is one-to-many. We very rarely set up the one-to-one amongst many kind of conversation. And that's really where we're longing to go as a humanity. And especially right now, After COVID, we are longing for connection and for authentic conversation and the real people to show up because we've had a long time of being isolated and a long time of lots of 
speak about what's going on that we didn't understand or were afraid of. I can feel that palpable sense of people wanting to connect. So how do I help them do that? Because if we can do that, we'll be stronger together. We can do what we're intending to do with more guts and with more energy than before. And courage is a, you know, everyday courage is a bit of a paramount thing at the moment, I think. So I can ask people to turn to each other. And then the other thing I can do is bring listening to the fore. And I can know that the brain loves to have a job. If it has a job, it shows up more than 100%. So if I say, okay, there's going to be three of you, and could one of you be listening for this? And could you be writing down some notes on that? And you be telling your experience about that? And then we're going to just share what we found out about this theme that we're talking about. Then I'm engaging everybody 100%, and I'm inviting them to do a job, and they will, in fact, listen better than they did before. Because if somebody's telling a compelling story, your brain tends to to be entrained. That is kind of like get on the train with them. And your brain will light up in the same way that theirs is lighting up. That's chemically and physiologically, we can get into the same story together. But it also provokes all of my stories in my head. So I don't listen as well without a job than I do if I have a job. So I've been asked to pay attention to something. I, in fact, can pay attention better interestingly enough. You know, I love to do what I call gold panning. I I like gold mining and stories. I think every person has gold inside of them in the form of their lived experience. So my question is always, how do I get that lived experience and how do we process that gold together? Because all of us together know far more than any one of us does. There's always more intelligence sitting down in a room than standing up if there's one person speaking. So how do I get that listening to come forward? And it's very simple, actually. I just ask people to do something. And then we talk about what we've learned. And that validates people. It, it does what a fellow narrative practitioner of mine, Sine Smart, calls redignifying people. When I truly listen and value someone's experience, I have redignified them. And then they're going to show up in a different way. I would love to hear a story or an example of a moment where you were with a group, you wanted to engage all the voices and you gave, you asked people to do something, you gave their brains a job to do. Um, Just to give an example, and it's possible to do it in like a a business environment in a space that people would not expect. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what pops to my mind is one of my favorite moments. It was a real (gasps) moment. And it was in an art of hosting training in New Zealand. And it was a business crowd. We had people from the Department of Conservation and from other government departments and businesses and stuff. And we were working on the topic of courage. And we had asked people to sit in trios and tell about a time when they had been courageous and the other people to to harvest that through their listening. And then after that was done, we asked for some stories to come forward. And this one man said, I wanted to tell my group a story of my own courage. And then it turned into something different. So we were all paying attention at that moment (laughs) because, and I was thinking, ooh, somebody has done some good listening here. Let's see what it's about. And he said, I applied for a job as a New Zealander and I moved to the U.S. and I moved my family to the U.S. in February and I moved to Colorado in the midst of a snowstorm. (laughs) Wow. What a time to move to Colorado. And the company was doing some work in the Middle East and some of their people had been kidnapped in the Middle East. And so they were looking for somebody who didn't have a U.S. passport so that they would be less a victim in this regard. And this guy, after two weeks in the job, volunteered to go 
on this mission. And so he leaves his family at home and he goes on this mission. And in fact, he does get kidnapped. <laughs> and then they get him back. And so he's telling his group the story from the perspective of his courage. And the listeners listened very carefully to the story. And one of them said to him, I think this is a story also about your wife's courage because you moved your family to a new country. They didn't know any of the surroundings. They had no community. Then you left them. And then, then all of this happened. I think this is a moment of your wife's courage. And the man who was telling the story said, it's been 12 years since that happened. And now I need to go home and tell my wife what I found out today. And there were tears in his eyes as he was saying that. So it was a really potent demonstration of the power of listening beneath the surface. And we often, when we're telling stuff, we packaged it in such a way, we made meaning of it already. So we're kind of like offering this gift. Hey, here's the gift. I've wrapped it up with a red bow. And if you're a really good listener, sometimes you can help people see there's more facets to what you experience than you've made out of it right now. Here's what I'm seeing. So what I tell people when I'm inviting them to listening, to listen well is, we can give people themselves back in the power of our listening and help them to see there are many more facets to what they experienced or what they might know than they think. And together, we can learn something fundamental. Yeah, that's, that's really important. That's really powerful. It's like, yeah, the, it's like bringing up the human side of things. You talked about <laughs> people craving this human authentic side, but that we, you know, no matter how much we think we know, we discover something new in that moment you know, something of great impact. And at the same time, all people who are there get something really important out of it. You know, it's that fundamental uh, side that makes us who we are as, as human beings. So it's possible to really reinvigorate your organizational structure or what you're doing through the power of story and listening. So you, I remember being with one organization where we asked people to tell stories of us at our best in groups of five, and we had them name those stories with each other, and we put them all up on the wall. So we were surrounded by all the names of all these stories of where we were at our best. And then five of them came forward, and we heard them. And it was like seeing an organization leap off the page, leap off the vision statement, and become, you know, like not 3D, but 5D almost, embodied in these people and their experiences. And everybody had a lift of, oh, this is who we are. And you can do that with vision statements, for example. If you have a vision statement around for too long, it becomes calcified and a bit dead. But if you then look at that statement and you pick a word out of it and you tell a story about that word, you can re-enliven it. So our listening and our storying can reawaken why we decided to say yes to the purpose that we're doing together or who we decided to be when we stepped in here and what we dreamed of. It can reawaken all of those things. And that's the fuel to move something forward fundamentally and in a much different way than I just show up and do my nine to five. I can imagine that doing something like that is not only for the big vision, but you know how companies have their cultural values and whatnot. They have a list of this, but sometimes what is written and what is actually acted upon are, <laughs> there's a gap, <laughs> a big gap. But the intention behind those values and when they were created, the intention was good. And yet probably through the storytelling, you can help close those gaps or to decide if another value is wanted, probably. And people are always asking themselves, a lot of organizations have one word value statement, which, what does that mean? 
<laughs> how do you know so how many do you different know if things with different people yeah like right. i often say to people okay if we said we have the value of respect and raquel i respect you so much that i want to tell you everything that's going on and you respecting me so much don't want to bother me because you know i'm busy so you don't tell me everything so there's going to be a bit of a ping pong match as i think you are withholding and you think i'm flooding you with information so we didn't ever agree what respect looks like but by sharing stories we can see what it looks like we can tell stories of how we want it to be. We can tell stories of how we don't want it to be, and we can listen to those. But I wanted to make sure I told you one of my favorite stories about leadership and listening. And this came from a person I know who coached folks on getting executive positions. And one man she coached got the job, and they were both a bit surprised. (laughs) (laughs) And she said to him, here's my advice to you for the first week. Don't say anything. Just ask this question, what's working around here? And listen. And so he did that. He went around the business and he would go, hey, what's working around here? And then he listened. And so not only did he find out a lot about what was actually going well, he's not focusing on what wasn't working, but what is working. And this is an appreciative inquiry approach, really. If I focus on what's working, then I, by rights, kind of start edging out everything that's not working. It's not that I'm not paying attention to it. It's that I'm putting the focus on let's do what's working and do more of that. And so that happened. Number one, he learned a lot. But number two, the story started to go around, hey, the new guy cares about what we think. (laughs) So I love that one. Yeah, and and they like that. I love that story. That's, that's great because we don't expect that, you know, usually it's like, okay, you have a hundred days to get your project, figure out what's important, (laughs) go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, what if it's actually what you're talking about and not only do you learn a lot, but from there, the choices or decisions that are made are based on what you've listened to. And then, you know, people see that people notice, people feel it and they're more motivated by that. Yeah. And we have a challenge, of course, when we're leaders or when we're facilitators or when we're anybody who's in charge of something and in front of something, oftentimes we never in it. Listening asks us to be in it with somebody. So it's an excellent practice. I I want to turn that on myself too. It's good for me to listen to myself. There's so many messages. It's so noisy out in the world that I can miss that small voice of intuition that's inviting me to do stuff. I've learned over time when I don't listen to that voice, it's that voice actually knows. It knows to turn this direction or to call that person who then responds with, I was just thinking about you or to do that thing or to, to move in a direction. But if I let everything be too noisy, if I'm busy being too noisy, then I, I'm not listening to the subtle flow of where my life is asking me to go. And if I really want to show up with my highest potential, I also need to listen to myself. Yeah, and that's a... And to, you know, take time for ourselves to listen to ourselves. And I don't know how you, this, my little theory on this listening to self thing, um, because I've had lots of people who say, you know, how can, you can't be a listener unless you listen to yourself. And I agree to a, to a point. I mean, I do think that, you know, by listening to ourselves, taking walks in nature, you know, journaling, these types of things that really helps us get clarity or mind mapping or whatever it is that people do. And yet we need other people in our life be able to for ourselves to listen even further than we would by ourselves like your favorite story i mean this guy had listened probably thought about this story and this experience for 12 years and it probably had changed him and it probably impacted things that he did and yet 
other layer of listening in relation to his wife. That didn't happen until someone listened to him in this more profound way. And that, so we can listen to ourselves and also we need that space and time. And also we need others who are listening to us in this way to even take it to levels that we ha- are, can't even imagine. I think what you're pointing to there is if you, if you want to be a practitioner, you need to stay in practice. And, and who are your mates? Do you have some people, I know people who have regularly, there's one guy here in my, in my local vicinity who's been meeting with another person, I think every, is it every month or I think every month for 12 years now, and they really do deep listening with each other. So when you look at the Presencing Institute and the levels of listening, it's very interesting to go, what level are you listening on? And have you practiced all of those levels? Is there is there any point regularly in time where you drop into the deepest level of listening into the future together? That's actually really, really interesting. So anybody listening to this could be saying, what is my practice around listening? Am I putting a focus on it? What's the quality I want to bring to that? And am I being intentional as I'm stepping into spaces? Hey, I want to listen to this person with kindness, or I'm coming here to understand and really connect. How can I listen beneath the noise to find out what we have in common and how I can connect, even if it's a contentious issue I'm going to listen to? Or, you know, what what is my intention and my focus for listening? That's really interesting. Because at the bottom of it all, listening is love in action. And if you intend it to be like that, people will feel that and more will come of it. So let's just say this again. Listening is love in action. Mm. It's how I can demonstrate my caring to you is by going, you're important enough that I'm going to give you my full attention now. Um, when was a moment where you felt someone was listening to you as love in action? I've had a lot of that, actually. I think I'm very fortunate to be part of the Art of Hosting community where that is holding space for each other is part of the practice. So I even love it when I'm on a call with people and we go into a very silent moment. I've learned over time that there there was a moment I remember leaning into a training group. It had sat silent in the circle for a couple of minutes and nobody was squirming, interestingly enough. (laughs) And I leaned forward and said, do you hear that? That's the sound of community. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, for me, COVID was challenging because I travel a lot and I was isolated for about a year and a half. And I'm, I feel very fortunate that during that time I had people who deeply listened to me and could just sit in the grief with me and just hold that space. They didn't have to fix me or get worried that I was upset about something. They could just be there with me and, and listen deeply f- enough for me to have a space to go, oh, here's here's the bit that's that's needing its voice heard. So I, I feel very, very blessed to have that often and regularly. Yeah, sounds good. There's you know, when you when you start looking at all the stuff going on in the world that kind of gets it's like craziness. But then you look at these other areas, like these communities that are everywhere. There's actually some amazing, amazing stuff going on. Amazing groups of people doing amazing work. Really amazing. But it's um, like everything else. It's like you got to flex the muscle. you got to practice in order for it to be. A, because I think there. I've been in moments where everything was falling apart. And I was really aware to myself, ah, this is the moment I've been practicing for. Yeah. To be able to yeah. stand my ground, to be calm, 
to not be thrown into chaos myself, but to be come at it with curiosity is because I've been practicing enough so that I can. Yeah, so practicing when we are calm and practicing when we're in a good place, that's what carries us through these moments of, I don't know if crisis is the right word, but these moments that may surprise us or we're not quite prepared, but, but we are. And it might be a moment where we get off kilter, but if we practice, we can, you know, take that breath <laughs> and reconnect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know there's probably so much more that we could talk about, but in terms of today, when it comes to your work around storytelling and perhaps this connection to listening, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today? Yeah, just that question to yourself, how can I listen louder? And if I listened with another part of me, we often think of listening being the ears, but the Chinese character to listen, I love that because a kanji is actually a composite figure of many concepts together. So if you look at that particular character, it actually has a brush stroke in it that looks very much like a heart. So it says something about the heart. It has the concept of 1000, like, could I listen to you 1000% more or give you that much attention? It has something in it about king. You know, if I, if I listen to you like a king, then I honor you in a way. There, there's something really beautiful about that. I, I love that character very much for that reason of, of all of the elements in what listening could be. But my favorite teacher around listening is a character from a book, and the book is called Momo, M-O-M-O. It's a German author, Michael Ende, so Michael End, E-N-D-E. And in this book, everybody gets so busy that there's no time left for anyone and nobody, uh, but the central thesis of the book is time is life and life lives in the heart. And there's only finally one person left who can save the world, which is a 12-year-old girl called Momo, whose only power is to listen so deeply that things come back into balance. People heal themselves and each other, and everything goes better. And she just listens. She finally goes to master time, and together they save the world by listening. And chapter two in this book describes the power of her listening. She is my ultimate role model. And I often say I met her when I was 21 and she was 12 and she's still 12. (laughs) But if you ever get a hold of that book, absolutely the role model for how to listen for transformation. And that's the beauty of a good story told and the beauty of good listening. Ah, so nice. Thank you so much for being (laughs) on this podcast. um... Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. If people want to get in touch with you, um, how do they do that? My website is getsoaring.com, G-E-T-S-O-A-R-I-N-G.com. And underneath that, you can find my book about story and my online community and what's coming up next. And I'd love to see you digitally or in person and do some good listening. Well, I'll tell you what, anyone who has a chance to experience you, whether in person or or digitally, will be impacted in a big way. In a oh, big, thank big you way. for that. There's a lot of people I've heard who have witnessed, witnessed this. <laughs> this <laughs> They've witnessed me. <laughs> they witnessed you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, Mary Alice. It's been a pleasure. And thank I'm you. looking forward to future conversations. I'm your host, Raquel Ark, and you have just enjoyed your listening superpower podcast. This is an independent show. So please show your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and sharing with your friends. 
I love to hear from my listeners what you love, what questions you have, any great guests that you have for the podcast. Email me at listeningsuperpower at gmail.com or send a voicemail at plus four nine one seven three two three four zero seven two two. Check out listeningalchemy.com if you want to help your team communicate more effectively together. We focus on evidence-based listening strategies, and we do it in a playful and experiential way so that your team can work better and feel better together. Thanks for listening in. Mm-hmm.